and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty, talking here from Longmont, Colorado. I got my partner up in Chicago, Larry Mishkin. Hey, Jim, how are you today? Very good. How's the weather in Chicago? Actually, very, very nice. It had gotten cold, but it's clear and sunny, so we're all happy about that. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Colorado, about 62 degrees and sunny. But speaking of weather... Yeah, I was just going to say. We had a hard breeze here. A week or so ago, just about a week ago today, or was it two weeks ago, but it got down. We had a 36 hours below freezing. It got down to 15, 17 degrees at my house, and that wreaked havoc on a lot of plants that were in the ground. One of our good Colorado companies, Los Suevos in Pueblo, it's been on the Internet news that they think they might have lost half their crop. My wife lost a couple of her houseplants, and we got them in pretty quick, but not quick enough, and uh, they died. So, yeah, it was a it was a hard freeze. I'm not a scientist, but I, I learn a lot from being in this industry. And my understanding is that marijuana or hemp that's outdoors can survive a, a light first frost, but not a hard second frost. Well, our first frost was a hard frost, and I think some folks lost their crops it was a big scramble to get them harvested and inside and drying out. So anyway, yeah, Mother Nature. Let me ask you a question. Is there, is there any precedent for that in Colorado? Has this happened before oh, with early winters coming in? And Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in Colorado, it can snow at in, in any month of the year. You can get snow in July or August up in the mountains. But the one you're talking about, I saw on the news that, that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it was 80 degrees, and by drive-home time at 5 or 6 o'clock, it was snowing. Yes. Yeah, we had a very drastic temperature change. My buddy was up in the mountains with a short sleeve shirt on fishing, drove down the Poudre Canyon, and he said uh, on his way down the Poudre Canyon, the temperature outside his car dropped 60 degrees. Amazing. Yep. That's an accepted risk of cultivating outdoors in Colorado, huh? Yes. Yeah. I talked to a lot of our clients and most of them got their plants harvested and inside because, you know, it's okay to bring them inside wet as long as you get them hung upside and drying very quickly in a secure dry room. Because if you leave them outside for very long, they will just turn into green mush that is just useless to anybody. Yep. There's a lot of risk in this business. I talk about risk all the time with our clients, and I'm sure you do too, Larry. Sure. What are they saying uh, about the impact of that on the supply and pricing? Well, like I said, I think a lot of the outdoor crop got inside okay. However, we are seeing, a, okay, and this is very good news for our clients, are seeing a very nice uptick in prices. A year ago, as sure. the outdoor harvest came in, we were down to about $800 a pound at wholesale, $750 at wholesale. A lot of people were going under. A year later, our wholesale pounds are at 1800 to 2000 so over a thousand dollar increase, over a hundred percent increase in price, and we're starting to see some of those bargains around Denver go away. The the seventy five and ninety nine dollar ounces are giving way to now. Um, if you shop around for a bargain, you can find an ounce for one hundred and fifty dollars. But those are getting a little more rare too. You see an ace tick sure. up from 20, 
20 25 dollars now ace are up to 30 35 dollars so we're seeing some uptick in prices which is good for the industry you need a lot of mm-hmm. profit margin in this industry to survive irs code section 280e and other various risks that we just talked about you know people call me all the time and want to talk about investing in cannabis and i'll have to say and I, even my own partners here at the cpa firm we're constantly talking about the very, very many different risks associated with this industry, starting with the fact that it's federally illegal. But then you got weather risk, you got regulatory risk, you've got real estate risk. The list goes on. Let me ask you, is that is that, that green mush that gets left behind when, when this happens with the weather, does that even can they even make an extract out of that? Does it have any value at all? I don't believe so. I could be wrong. And wow. you know, if you can throw, if you can do a, a quick, you know, throw it in the freezer, they call that. Uh, there's a name for that. It'll come to me, but fast freeze or something like that, where they get it, they take it right from the field and put it into a freezer before the plant even knows it's dead. There might be some possibility for that, but that's about it. Uh, like I said, I think you're pretty well screwed if your crop freezes. So, right wow. now we jump right into the cannabis. We want to talk a little bit about music and one of my favorite artists, Les Claypool of Primus, has announced that he's getting the Oysterhead band back together, which is Trey Anastasio on lead and Les Claypool on bass, of course, and then Stuart Copeland on drums from the police. It's such a it's such a great mashup of musicians and, and I just love Stuart Copeland being a part of that. You know, I mean Les Claypool it has a well-established spot in the, you know, in the jam band, in the jam band world, and you know, Primus is certainly, uh, you know, uh, as good as many of them. But you know, you think of a guy like Stuart Copeland and the Police, who, you know, certainly were, you know, the, the big news of their day. But it's hardly the same sound that, you know, that the Trey and and Primus crank out. And yet there he is. It's such a natural fit that it, it's it's really wonderful to see. Yeah, I, I have a great story about the first time I saw Les Claypool and Primus. They opened the first Bonnaroo, and they played middle of the afternoon, bright sunshine, big crowd, just getting Bonnaroo kicked off for the very first time. This would have been June of 2002. And in through the back of the crowd comes a marching New Orleans street band whose name right now, oh, the Dirty (laughs) Dozen Brass Band. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band comes marching through the crowd, New Orleans style, big horns blowing, tubas, trombones, the whole bit, march right up the middle of the crowd, right up onto stage, and start jamming with with uh, Primus. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. That's a, that's a great thing. Yep, you get good stuff like that, and then here it is. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a lot of fun to see them all together and to see them up there. You know, for Trey, it gives him a whole new set of boundaries to play with. And as we've discussed, He's so hot right now that that's uh, those are going to probably be great shows. Are any of them coming through your town? Yes, we're getting two shows right outside of Boulder in Broomfield, Colorado. I think we're the first show on the tour, and that'll be in February 2020. So we're looking forward to those Excellent. shows. And I think the lottery nice. might have started in the last day or so. And yeah, we plan to buy tickets right away and try to stay off the secondary market. But obviously, the shows will sell out very quickly. Trey must really like Colorado because he was here doing solo just before Christmas. 
in the spring, right. late spring, he came and did a solo, his uh, tab band at a new venue in Denver. And then, of course, we got our uh -huh. three fish shows on Labor Day. And now he's back yep. here again. So I don't know that it has anything to do with the fact that Colorado has legal cannabis. But Trey sure seems to like Colorado. <laughs> you guys are only too happy to have him come along. Now, that's great. And you know, maybe he'll team up with his old buddy, Bob Weir, who knows who, by the way, just celebrated a, a birthday the other day. 72 years old, Mr. Weir. Right, right. I knew he was an October birthday. Um, very good. We're looking forward to seeing the shows in Los Angeles, December 27th and 28th of Dead & Co. So, yeah, that's what you were saying. Those will be great, too. But, you mm -hmm. know, I, I get such a kick out of, you know, the fact that, you know, Bob Weir is 72 years old, right? And just think of him so much as kind of like the young wild child of the Grateful Dead, you know, who it's a great story how Garcia had to go ask his parents, uh, Weir's parents, for permission to play with the band when they first started because under California law, Bobby was too young under their employment laws and workers' laws. So they had yep. to get his parents to agree and to sign off to let him become a permanent member of the band. Otherwise, promoters weren't letting him come into their venues to play. And now he's yep. 72 years old and it's, uh, he's going stronger than ever. I don't know if you've seen his video workout on YouTube, but boy, he does huh. a workout that would put most of us to shame. Huh. I have not seen that. That's very interesting because at age 63, I'm enjoying my workouts and I always like to bring new, new things into it. But yes, I've heard those stories sure. of Bob Weir. And as he described it, the I think it was the other one documentary about Bob that uh, uh -huh. he ran away and joined the circus. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly right. You know, and always the prankster, you know, memorialized in the other one, right? The heat came by and busted me for smiling on a cloudy day, which is another great mm -hmm. story. He dropped some water balloons out of the window on the police officers outside of the dead house on the hate. Then he came outside mm -hmm. and just sat on the curb and just had this goofy grin smiling at them. So they did a determination that he was the mad bomber of the water balloons. And they carted him off, and that's where he came up with that line for the song. Yes. The heat came around and busted me for smiling on a cloudy day. Or was it a sunny day? Cloudy day. Anyway, yeah, he has some great stories. Have you ever looked up the net worth of, like, Phil and Bob? It's, like, over $100 million. I have not, but it, it's, you know, it's certainly not surprising. A, it's my understanding was is that Bob came from a family that had some money. I don't know how accurate that is, but that was always my understanding. I mean, he had gone to boarding school one after another because he couldn't manage to stay in any of them without getting tossed out. But when you look at the Grateful Dead numbers, right, while Garcia was still alive, so through 95, they remained one of the top-grossing live acts in the country. And the stories that I've read have been that since Garcia's death and with the advent of all the Dick's picks and Dave's picks and all the box sets that they're coming out with and everything else that they're doing, that annually they're making way, way more now than they ever did when they were in their peak touring form. And that, you know, they're all cashing in on all of this. And so, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that these guys are sitting on a, on a boatload of money. Every time they go into their vault and pull out another show and, you know, it sells out right away and they make, you know, however much money they make on that, then they sell these thousand dollar box sets and those sell out. Yeah. And there's more to it than that. Every time a Grateful Dead song is played on the radio or the Sirius, anywhere in the world, the artist gets a few pennies or even a fraction of a few pennies. And of course, over right. a career of 60-some years, that adds up. Adds up very quickly, yeah, certainly. But, so, um, hey, listen, I, it, you know, that just makes me happy to know 
that they're not touring because they need to and that they're touring because it's really something that they enjoy doing. I certainly think that's pretty obvious when you see them up on stage and all the fun that they're having and, you know, all the good stuff that's going on. And, hey, let's keep the good times rolling right along. Yeah, that was what I was thinking when I saw how much my New Year's tickets were. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, do they really need to charge $160 a piece for these? But anyway, yeah, I don't know. my son, Matt, he goes, hey, what else are you going to do for $160 on New Year's Eve? Exactly right. Where on New Year's Eve, you know, which is the greatest overhyped night of the, the year, you know, how many other places would, would you really truly rather be than sitting in a room listening to the Grateful Dead perform live at the stroke of midnight? To me, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the best place to be. So, so um, good for you, and you'll enjoy. We'll hear stories about that. Oh yeah, looking forward to that. To just bring- but before we run out of time, yeah. I wanted to talk a little more about the hemp show. I was at a week ago today. Yeah, very interesting. I told some stories about it on our last podcast, but one of the very interesting things was, unlike a marijuana show, and I, Larry, you and I have been to dozens and dozens of, of marijuana shows. It's really frowned upon. Sure. You can't really sell product at a marijuana convention right. or conference. However, right. hemp, you can, you can with hemp. Many people were selling or giving away products. I came home with a very big goodie bag. There was 400 booths there. I got to maybe less than 100, maybe 75, 80 booths. And I always introduce myself and tell them that I'm an accountant in the cannabis and hemp world. And uh, I always say, hey, where are you guys from? And how long you been in business? And I think the oldest answer to that question was 2016. Many of these companies have been formed in 2017, 18, and even 19. Very, very new companies, a very new industry. It reminds me of where the legal marijuana world was back in 2012 and 13. But very young companies, they're very excited. But I got a lot of good products. I got some Stormy Daniels smokable hemp. That's great. And I'm here to tell you, it definitely definitely does not get you high. I tried, which was good because I'm not purely light marijuana smoker, but legal hemp is supposed to, you know, have the relaxation powers without, you know, the high. And so I did sample some of that Stormy Daniels before bed, and it didn't get me high because I read my book for a little while, and oh, I'm definitely not high. Uh, but I did sleep good that night. So, you know, maybe there is something okay. to this hemp seed business. But I got all kinds well, of tinctures and creams and ointments. That's fantastic. And, and it, it, it would, but what you just mentioned, and I think that that's ultimately really the key to all of this is that people will understand that it does give you that healthful benefit without getting high. In Chicago this week, um, they have called something called it's, it's Chicago Ideas Week. And it started a few years back, and it's basically an opportunity for a lot of people to come in and do a lot of presentations on a bunch of different topics, think TED Talks and things like that. And so I went to a couple of them that were related to cannabis, and one of them was yesterday morning. And on the panel was former NBA player Al Harrington. And uh, Harrington currently owns two companies. One is called Viola, uh, which is his cannabis, uh, his THC company. And then another one called uh, uh, Harrington Wellness Services or something like that, and that's his CBD company. And he's trying to explain to people, you know, the difference between the two. And he told this story, which was a, an amazing story. And he went up afterwards and he said, feel free to tell it. So I'm, I'm telling it for Alan, his grandma. And his story was that his grandma knew what he was getting into. And I'm saying, you know, grandma, you have all these health issues. This cannabis can really help you. And his line is she turned to him and say, 
I'm not going to smoke any of that reefer. I don't want any of it. So finally, he got back to her and said, well, look, you know, Grandma, here, try this stuff. It's CBD, and this will really help you with your glaucoma, and, and you see you have trouble reading your books, and, and this will help you, but it won't get you high. No, 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 it's cannabis. It's all the same. I'm not touching that stuff. And he said, well, you know, okay, you got to do what you got to do. And he said he left some lying around, though, and he came home later that night, and it wasn't there, so he went in find his grandma to, to, to tease her a little bit if she tried it. And he went into her room and she was sitting in her room and she was sitting there with his back, to, her back to him on the bed crying. And he walked up to her and he said, Grandma, Grandma, what's wrong? And she said, nothing's wrong. I tried that CBD that you left in the, on the, the, the first floor of the house. And he said, yeah. And she said, for the first time in years, my eyes are not hurting me and I can read my Bible. So I'm crying with tears of joy that my prayers have been answered. And I can read my Bible without it hurting my eyes. Oh, that's a great story. That's a great story. For that yeah, story, a lot of people. Like, this, this is, this is one that has have, to be told. So, I have people in my world who are older, late sixties and seventies, uh, little uh, old ladies who sit there and smoke their vape pen and swear by it for their sore neck and their sore knee. Um, so, yes, yeah, uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again: hemp CBD is going to be ten times or more the size of the legal cannabis industry. Walking around that conference last week, I could feel the energy, and I just said to myself, another multi-billion dollar industry kicking off here. It is, and I'll tell you, it's going to come online. It's going to take a little while. I was talking with you and, and with our producer, Dan, before the show started. Today was one of those days where you, know, you get a little victory in the big war. I have a client here in town who two weeks ago called me to let me know that two packages of CBD products that had been sent to him uh, so that he could sell here in his store in Chicago had been sent to him from Washington State had been confiscated by UPS at their distribution place here in Chicago, and it was ultimately confiscated by the Chicago Police Department. And I spent the better part of two weeks on the phone with an officer from the Chicago Police Department and with an attorney from his legal department, sending them over all of the information on the 2018 Farm Bill. This is all legal. They called me back to say, sorry, counselor, you haven't been straight with us. We tested it, and it tested positive for THC. Of course it does because it's industrial hemp, so it can have 0.3% calling me back with one other question. Apparently, they did some more testing, and they called me yesterday. Jim, and they said, drive on down here. You can have the package. And I said, really? Drove down there today? The only thing they were concerned about was it was a 40-pound package. Would I be able to carry it out to my car? They said, if you guys are giving it to me, we'll, we'll find a way to get it out to the car. So, you know, the, the good news is we were able to get the product back for the client. The unfortunate part, is, as the client was quick to point out, was, you know, he did get his entire product back, but it cost him, you know, another $2,000 in legal fees by the time we got done with everything to get it for him, which is true. And the only thing I could say in response to that is I've got people who pay a lot more than that to try to get product back and they're not successful. So, right, we can get anything back these days from the law enforcement. It's almost a, a tacit admission by them that, oops, they made a mistake. Although I will say I'm not here to bust the Chicago police. They were very professional about it and worked with me and we were able to get it resolved. No, that's great. Great stories. So, um, so, yep, it was good news all the way around. Happy about that. Well, tell us more about what's going on in Chicago and Illinois, because we're literally weeks away from the first legal adult use joint being sold. Well, you're right, and it, it, it's fascinating. There's been a lot of conferences. In fact, there's a big, huge conference tomorrow sponsored by the Chicago Reader. Uh, I'm going to be doing a presentation at that about what to expect in 2020 with respect to cannabis law and what's going on. It's going to be huge, but... Uh, going to have problems, and the problems are going to be that we're just not going to have enough dispensaries on day one. 
the, the medical dispensaries are out there currently uh, doing the things that they need to do to get their dual-use license for their current existing medical dispensary and their plus one additional dispensary. But the last time I checked, only about 10 of those licenses had been issued right now. So that's not a whole lot. I suspect between now and January 1, you know, maybe we'll get another 20 or 30 who will get their act together and, and get it done. That's not going to be a whole lot of dispensaries for a state of this size when we get to that point. Part of the problem that some of these people have been having is that they're currently operating medical dispensaries in communities that have now voted to opt out of the adult use program. So the big news is that these people who own these dispensaries and by law should be able to convert their existing dispensary into an adult use plus medical are now losing that opportunity because where they're located, those communities, you can keep your medical open, but you can't convert it to adult use, not in our community. And I'm suspecting that we're going to start seeing a lot of pushback on that very soon uh, because people are losing out on a huge investment opportunity, you know, by having uh, set up their medical shop and now being told at the end that they can't convert it over to a for, you know, to a, an adult use more profitable model. Wow. Well, while you were talking, I have pictures in my head of lines around the block of people with big, heavy, warm coats and their breath being all condensation as they're standing there in line stamping their feet. Well, I think you're right, Jim. And, you know, it does get cold here in January, and there will be a lot of people who are going to go rushing out to get what they can get. And the dispensaries are aware of it. I, I stopped by my medical dispensary last week, and the first three things that I asked for, they were all out. They told me flat out. Um, we're starting to conserve, and there, you know, there's going to be uh, cutbacks in what's available because we have to make sure we have enough product available on January 1. They're getting pushback from that because the, 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 the medical patients are complaining and saying, hey, look, you can do whatever you want on the adult use site, but there better be medical marijuana available for the, the, the people who really need the medical marijuana. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this plays out. But, yes, I suspect... For those of you outside of Chicago who turn on your TVs on January 2nd, you can almost bet that you will see some reporter out there freezing as well, standing <laughs> with a group of people singing songs and clapping their hands and jumping up and down to stay warm, waiting to get into an adult-use dispensary. Yeah. Well, you know, look at Massachusetts. They've had um, their cultivation for adult use up for a couple of years, and to this day you cannot buy the legal maximum, which I think is an ounce uh, the most you can buy is a quarter ounce, and it's, they just limit you based on their own supply being so weak. A lot of places you can buy two ace, and that's it, even though the legal limit's a full ounce. So, yeah, we've seen it before, supply not keeping up with demand. Even in Colorado, we've seen prices been ticking up. And we A year ago, wholesale was about $800 a pound, and it's back to about $1,800 a pound. And the price of uh, ace... And quarters are ticking up, but in a lot of the bargains the, that you would see around Denver with seventy-five and ninety-nine dollar ounces at retail, at the dispensary have now given way to where your bargain ounces are now more like one fifty. So, yeah, we're seeing a price uptick here in Colorado as well. So, but but you know the bottom line is is that everything is moving forward. Mm -hmm. People are getting their applications worked out and uh, getting ready to turn them all in. They're due by January 2nd at the latest. And then it's not going to get any easier, you know, for those of us helping everyone because uh, five days later on January 7th, the applications for uh, cult uh, craft cultivation and uh, processing 
are going to be uh, issued, and we'll be diving right into those. Great, yeah, and, and I think we've seen this quote-unquote vape pen crisis kind of peak, and, and now the, is rolling back some. There hasn't been as much in the news. Uh, we had clients who were very, very worried about e-cigarette ban completely, and that's given way to more just a ban on flavored tobacco products. Yeah. What is your take yeah. on where we're and at? That's I agree with you, and I think that it's like anything else, right? We always see the initial hysteria wave, and then when everybody sits down and takes a more measured look and approach to what's going on, they can step in and they can make changes, right? From afar, the easy answers seem to be get rid of all of the flavored tobaccos. I'm not a fan of tobacco, and I don't smoke it myself, but certainly there are a lot of people that do. A lot of people made the argument that, hey, I'm an adult, and I enjoy smoking a flavored tobacco. Don't take that away from me just because... You can't uh, regulate what doesn't doesn't get sold to children. So it's it's going to be a very very interesting thing to watch how that whole vaping issue plays out because it's going to play out a little bit differently, I think, on the tobacco level than it is on the THC level. Well, as they say, politics makes strange bedfellows. So uh, on this issue, yes, we see the marijuana industry and the tobacco industry seem to be in alignment and holding hands. Well, like yes. I said, interesting how we'll play. This could even be the final nudge the federal government makes because you know you're approaching half of all cannabis consumption um, and especially if you throw in cbd probably even more being taken by people through e-cigarettes as opposed to smoking flour um, as you've heard me say on past podcasts i'm a big fan of reasonable regulation people are putting these substances in their body there should be some accountability as to what is in those vape pens and you know i'd like to also get conclusive evidence that they actually cause these deaths but um, I think yeah. those answers will come over right. time. Maybe it will be the final nudge that the federal government says, hey, look, it, I guess we really need to get into this since we've got tens and tens of millions of people vaping, that maybe we do have a The federal government does have a role to play here. So yep, well, I, I think, think we're coming towards the end of our time slot. Larry, what else you got? Boy, I think that that's about everything we've... Oh, we were talking about uh, the Grateful Dead. I suppose we should give a, a belated... A two days birthday shout out uh, what we did to Bob Weir and his uh, turning 72 and we've got Oysterhead covered for today I think we covered it all Jim yeah so not sure what we'll talk about on, on the next show but there's always plenty in the news for us to talk about yeah Lots I'm gonna look up still floating around out there. next week I'll, I'll have a little bit more of a list of who the bands were at the first Bonnaroo it was very historic and I'll tell you some Bonnaroo stories of how I I would go there. As soon as school got out, we'd head for Tennessee, me and my then 14-year-old, who's now 31, and tell you some of the stories of how it was his idea to go and some of the adventures that we had there. We ended up going to the first eight Bonnaroo's, I think, together. So I'll have to tell you nice some stories. Fun activity. I haven't introduced the subject, okay. but um, for... Eight years in my 40s, I was a rock and roll photojournalist for our local paper. So for many years at Bonnaroo, I would be getting a press pass. So I'll tell you more about that on the next Great. show. And the other thing that um, I'd like to throw out there for our listeners to think about is I know that you and I have been talking uh, off to the side about some possible changes or expansion of the IRS and their use of uh, Section 280E. So uh, if you're up for it, I'd like to dive into that in the next show as well. Yep, yep, yep. And for me in my world, that's uh, not really big news. We're, we're up to our eyeballs in all kinds of audits, not just federal, but state and local. 
So, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to talking about that and uh, some of the things that my firm does to, uh, we call it 280E mitigation. I'll talk a little bit about that next week and maybe put a plug in <laughs> for a class I'm teaching on 280E mitigation. Excellent. Very good. Well, pleasure as always, Jim. Uh, enjoy your weekend and have fun in Denver. All right. You too. I look forward to seeing you soon. You got it. Thanks, everybody. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.